0: I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices.
1: Leinster could have me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> it is Robbie Rugby Rugby Weekly. Little reverse pass. Magic! You're not alive, man, so you start kicking when the is spinning. Hello and welcome and to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here, hunkered down in studio in cork uh, it's just been pointed out to me that my location on skype is still listed as saucy town which was a euphemism for underage drinking back in the day so that will be edited swiftly after this podcast i'm joined on the line as always by murray Kinsella of the 42 how are you murray
0: yeah good good looking forward to easter weekend i guess at home this time but um yeah nice weather outside so hope we get into the back garden and enjoy it there uh, but all good tipping away and Even though there's no live Roby, we've had uh, plenty to chat about and more today.
1: Absolutely. There have been a couple of classic games reviewed by yourself and myself for the 42 members. members Members.the42.ie if you want to join us in reliving Leinster's famous win in Toulouse in 2006. And also the Miracle Match, which we did more recently. Uh, This is a regular podcast for members and non-members. And it is the latest in our provincial report card series. Today we are going to be chatting about Ulster, and we were absolutely delighted uh, to be joined on the line by former Ulster and Ireland centre Darren Cave. How are you, Darren?
2: Very well, thank you. Thanks for um, having me. I'm just uh, delighted when Murray got in touch that I had something to put in the diary, so uh, <laughs> something to do, and any excuse to talk about Ulster, you can you can count me in. So I'm looking forward to it.
1: That sounds very good indeed. How have you been keeping since retirement? And I suppose most pertinently, how have you been keeping throughout this uh, the madness, I suppose, of this pandemic? Uh,
2: isolation has been uh, so. I I became a father about eight months ago, and I, and in in that journey, I have had like a newfound respect for all mothers uh, any everywhere across the world. But I think it's even um, it's even. A higher respect after spending, uh like two weeks is it now locked in the house with my eight month old daughter. So um, <laughs> I would I would give anything for a day's work right now just to uh, um, to get me out of the house for a while. But hopefully um, hopefully my wife won't be listening to this podcast.
1: <laughs> we'll try and keep it going for eleven or twelve hours. Uh, give yeah, plenty I'm for free, the listeners free. to dig I'm into. Free. <laughs> um. So uh, what's the the last sort of twelve or so months been like? Uh, I think you would have announced that you were going to retire, was it April of last year? And then uh, as the season came to a close, the curtain was lowered on what was an an unbelievable career for yourself. Uh, What has it been like kind of, I suppose, readjusting to normal society uh, and a normal life or something resembling it? I guess having a daughter uh, might expedite that process somewhat.
2: Yeah, listen, I I, I actually haven't missed it uh, I've really enjo- I think I've been very fortunate uh, my daughter was born in July so there was no time to really um to to mope around too much and uh on on home Ulster match nights I'm involved in the in the premium lounge there the NL Goodbody lounge also doing a bit of work on games so I still get that little bit of my my fix a uh, little bit of a rush going into these things and it's um there are some parallels between that and playing you know you're you're kind of going into a bit of an unknown, you know roughly what's going to happen, you've prepared but you still don't know how you're going to perform. So uh, listen, all in all, I I don't really miss it. I felt like the last couple of years of my career, so much of it, uh, I was frustrated with selection um, and I was always very understanding throughout my career. If, uh if I was given a reason for not playing or if I hadn't played well, I would be able to look at it and go, you know what?" Potentially, don't deserve to be reselected, and um, that gave me good closure. Over the last couple of years of my career, I genuinely believed from the bottom of my heart that I should have played more rugby. Um, now whether or not that was right and the truth is actually irrelevant because it's not what I believed, and I found that quite hard to deal with um and that consumed me you know I was thinking about selection um frustrated never got a good reason I felt when I was left out um and now to not be available for selection (laughs) so to speak and just have that I suppose a bit more of a flat line in life in terms of not quite the highs and lows um I really really uh, enjoy that um and that's one thing, I suppose, that more than anything that I concentrate on. So, yes, listen, there's been some Ulster games tonight uh, this year, year where I've been watching, thinking it would be nice to be in that changing room. But ultimately, the journey it takes to get in that changing room, Um, I, I'm content that I had my fair share of them. And now I'll just try and enjoy a little more relaxing life. Yeah, you had brilliant
0: memories, Darren, obviously on the pitch as well. I'm interested for you now, Um, we've heard you do punditry on, on the rugby pod and stuff like that. What's it like actually, I suppose, commenting on guys you are so recently teammates with who you're probably still friendly with? Is it a tricky challenge maybe to, to do that?
2: It's a very interesting question, Murray, because people uh there's different styles of punditry as um as you well know. And I think a lot of players come out and they think that people are going to be looking for them to sit on the fence and therefore as a result they feel they have to call things out and they have to say things um, that maybe other people wouldn't say. My style, if you will, of punditry is um, I would like people watching at home to understand what's happened a little bit. So for me, you know, if somebody makes a mistake um, if somebody hasn't played well, it's for me. It's not about saying, "Oh, that's crap. Oh, that's unacceptable." Ulster really lacked energy. You know these things that some pundits throw out as really good sound bites, and for some reason, there's a real, real appetite for you know, keep, keep, you know, keep going, keep telling, tell it like it is. Don't hide behind it. Um but for me, you know, what I do, I try and tell the viewers something that they wouldn't hear in the pub after twelve pints. So for me I will try not to say Ulster lacked energy, Ulster lacked enthusiasm, there's no passion in the jersey. These are things I will stay away from. I wanna talk about why, what is happening at set piece, what is happening, what are the other team doing. To, I mean, let's 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 just use Ulster as the example. Uh, what are the other team doing to Ulster, that mean that <coughs> Ulster don't have a lot of time in the ball? To mean that their decision makers are struggling with the options. They look, um, you know, at times in inverted commas, clueless. They don't know what option to take. Why, um, and the idea that you don't just uh say something that anyone could say could say in a pub after twelve pints. Uh, that that is what I try and do. Um, and at times it frustrates me that there are pundits that go on and say oh, it's just not good enough. Um, you know, there's there's no pride in the jersey, and and s- s- fans, some fans lap it up.
1: Yeah, it, it is. It can be a bit of a soundbite, all right, where you're throwing an entire team under the bus without necessarily explaining as to why it may seem as though they're playing without uh. supposed desire your punditry style darren was that a conscious decision where you would have sat down before going into punditry and sort of decided what type of pundit you wanted to be or was it something that maybe you were considering in the twilight years of your playing career where it was going to be an outlet for you and maybe you had the time to assess the the punditry landscape and ascertain as to how you wanted to fit into that landscape
2: um no it was something that just came naturally to me because it wasn't how I, that was how I played the game uh, that I thought about things and um for ex for example you know in particular when viewing Ireland games over the past sort of three or four years of my career when I wasn't playing and I'd have seen some of Murray's pieces on the forty two um analyzing you know where the try originated from and they. That's how I viewed rugby as well, so I would have looked and said, yeah well that's right um it's all very well saying that you know so and so just had loads of real energy and enthusiasm, but it's actually nothing to do with that it's the um it's the quality of the pass and look at the decoy line. look at how when that defender uh, when that attacker runs short, that outside defender turns his shoulders in and then when that pass comes out the back and um, the the open side winger shoots out of defense but the attacking player is so deep you know the ball gets to the edge like that was how I viewed rugby that was how I played rugby so when I watch a game now that's what I look for that's what I see and um, that's what I try and um, and yeah listen a lot of its back play um and similarly in de- similarly in defense do you know I played probably 95 percent of my career at number thirteen, do you know? So every set piece for me, I got into position, and there are, uh that was my job. There were there were there are so many cues that tell you, um, give you a clue as to where the play might be coming to. Um, do you know? Regardless of what people thought of me as a player, when you play, you know, two hundred and fifty plus professional games. And how many scrums and lineouts are in a game? You know, you're talking twenty plus set pieces, plus probably ten times that in training. Um, actually, probably more than ten times. My maths is out of control here, lads. But we're talking. You know, I probably defended like twenty, thirty thousand set pieces in training and, and in matches. So when I watch a game now, um, and I look at a scrum. And the blindside wingers here and the fullbacks there. And to me, that's just like, I just love that. And um, that's what I like talking about. I like saying, well, the blindside wingers moved across here. What that's done to the defence is that's meant that the fullback actually has to stand right in the centre. So he actually has to move his other winger back a tiny bit. So they're not going to be op- able to operate their blitz defence. Or if they keep, you know, these kind of things, that's, that's what I love about the game.
0: Yeah, I think it's been really interesting to to see that development in media. I mean, we, we actually had a newsletter for our members, the rugby newsletter yesterday, kind of talking about that, the development of the media and also the supporters themselves. Like, I'm constantly blown away now by the knowledge that fans and supporters have and the hunger they have for that kind of analysis of games and maybe getting that bit more understanding of what's going on because as you say, like there's so many parts to it. You think of a set piece try, like right from the, the hooker's throw, the movement in the line out, the transfer of the ball, everyone's movement off the ball, support play off the ball, there's so many little parts of it that have to go right or can go wrong. Um that literally you look at fifteen seconds of any rugby game and there's there's loads in it to dig into. And we can overcomplicate things maybe and and definitely the mental side of it is, as we'll probably talk about with Dan McFarland, that is a, a huge part of it. But I think it's been really interesting to see that side of the media and and how supporters engage with the game kind of developing. So yeah, it's it's been an interesting part of it and, and I think Darren's doing a really good job of that, Gav.
1: 100%. Uh, and before we, we talk into the Ulster side of things, I was wondering, Darren, are you able then, uh, in light of all of this, to still watch a rugby match and just sort of enjoy it for it being a spectacle, maybe a bit of an easy watch, a super rugby game or something like that, or are you always now watching rugby with an analytical eye and, I suppose, working through the minutiae of what's going on and all of the little things that can happen in a 15-second passage of play, as Murray says?
2: Uh, Both, to be honest with you. Sometimes when I'm at a game, um, particularly, obviously, Kingspan's the place I'm at most regularly, and say, for example, I know on Monday or Tuesday I have a media commitment with regard to the game, it does take a bit more of a less of a social kind of aspect to it. You do, um, sometimes I'm watching the game thinking, right, if I don't watch this game properly, I'm going to have to watch it back three times on Sunday. <laughs> but, you know, quite often, I mean, probably a team who are quite a good example is you could be sitting on a, like a Sunday afternoon uh, Champions Cup weekend and Saracens are playing. Um, And the way they are with uh, the 4G pitch, or whatever you want to call it, underfoot conditions are quite good. The ball's normally not that bad. The weather's not normally horrendous. So for like those attacking shapes and also a fantastic team who are very well coached, um, there are times where you could be in the kitchen, keep an eye on the telly, and there's a try, and you just have to scramble to find the remote to get it rewound, um, and try and get the slow mo working and see what angles you can get, because you just have to sort of, you know, you still have a massive appreciation for just a lovely place of uh, of attacking rugby, so a bit of both.
1: Super. Yeah. Well, you're obviously incredibly well positioned to chat. Ulster and their progress over the last couple of years and give us your assessment of how their season was going to this point. Plenty of uh, juicy enough attacking play on offer at Kingspan as well. So where were Ulster going do you think uh, before I suppose all of this went to pot for completely external reasons? What was your impression of the Ulster that you saw uh, for the first time in a long time in the absence of yourself?
2: Um, Well it's (coughs) it's actually funny that this is quite good timing for this conversation because uh, it came up on my uh, Instagram a couple of days ago um that it was two years to the day since Tom O'Toole made his debut for Ulster uh, away to Edinburgh and this conversation isn't about Tom O'Toole but for me uh, you know I think back to this journey that Ulster are on um that I think so it was it was April twenty eighteen Ulster had um lost heavily away to Cardiff, they had lost um heavily away to Scarlets, lost at home to Edinburgh and the place was a, a bit of a mess. Uh, Les Kiss had just left, John O'Gibbs was um, going home for family reasons, then he wasn't, then he was going to La Rochelle, then he wasn't. Um, There was all sorts of sound bites being thrown around the media about what we were and what we weren't and one guy who I think doesn't get enough credit in this Ulster journey is Bryn Cunningham, who is the operations director, or uh, I don't know the official job title, but he's a guy that was trying to recruit players at that stage, and um, and the place was was a bit of a mess. He's trying to you know recruit guys the likes of your Geordie Murphy's, your Marty Moores, uh, you know he recruited Charles Piattai, he got Billy Burns, and you know they're looking at Ulster and they're going, well how how do you sell that club to them? Um, and that that game in Edinburgh, we ended up getting a bonus point. Um, then we ended up beating winning a couple more games, and that was the ultimately the, the year we had to play in a playoff to get back into Europe. Um, and that was on a, I think it was on a Sunday afternoon in front of the Ospreys uh, against the Ospreys in front of probably the worst crowd I've played at in the Kingspan Stadium in about ten years. So that was kind of where it all started um then you know Bryn recruited the likes of Dan McFarland and the thing just sort of started gaining momentum um Dan's brought in just a real uh really invested in trying to play young players we've seen a change in the style of play um last year i think was probably a slight overachievement for his expectations um and and this year who knows if we'll get a conclusion but the team are the team are in a really really good place and the thing is about what Ulster went through and to to refer back again to that game against the Ospreys 2 years ago uh, Ulster haven't been as successful as Munster and Leinster in in the professional area. you only have to look at how many Heineken cups have been won to to um to make that comparison but it doesn't mean that the club and the place isn't as proud this is a really, really, like like the people in Munster, like the people in Connacht, like the people in Lancer. this is a really, really proud place, really proud people, really proud of their club, really proud of their team. And this would have, it would have been an absolute catastrophe for Ulster if they'd have missed out and in getting into the Champions Cup on that occasion.
1: It is obviously, as you say, a proud place and I think a lot of supporters and I'd imagine players and backroom staff might have found themselves in a position where it became a little bit more difficult to be proud after what was uh, a monumentally difficult 2018 for all sorts of reasons. Uh, Do you think that, like, on reflection... um, Well, actually, I I suppose I'm asking you really, like, how much of the change in environment, change in culture, and that upturn in fortune was sort of player-driven or player-led? Or how naturally did it occur? Were there, like meetings to discuss how we need to change things how we need to move forward or was it just the case that once i suppose you got beyond the the rape trial and all of the um you know difficult circumstances surrounding that that it was a natural point to to move forward as a group
2: i think probably the latter um it was a real line in the sand we'd got it back into europe by the skin of our teeth we'd made some real good progression on the pitch um uh, the likes of Johnny McPhillips came in at the end of that season and played really, really well. And it was, as I said, it was a real line in the sand. It was an opportunity to go and recruit a new head coach or director of rugby, whatever the role is. The CEO left at the same time, so this is an opportunity for Ulster to go get a new CEO, get a new. And if for me, like it was, it was when Dan McFarland got the phone call that the job was available, he must have looked, he must have like for me is an absolute free one for any coach with decent aspirations this is a club with a massive season ticket following can attract big players you know we've there's no debt on the stadium um there's there's a there's a lot of businesses that support the club there's a lot of fans there's a lot of history and the club has underachieved and the club has come from nowhere he's coming in he's basically been told look you know all your all your older more senior players are leaving or have left. You look at Chris Henry, uh, Tommy Bow, Andrew Trimble, Robbie Diak, Paul Marshall, then myself and Rory Bess followed. I'm probably missing a couple. You know you're that's probably fifteen hundred caps, uh, club caps there, and you're basically told look chuck in your all your academy guys, um, have a shot to nothing. You can bring in some of your own coaches. You can bring in your style of play. And you know we're gonna stick with you. So for him, it was an absolute free one. And you know, he it's it's it was a fantastic ap- appointment for, for Ulster. He's been great. He really did back a lot of those young players, and he really did. Um, he wasn't, and he isn't afraid to to give those guys a go. And ultimately, that's how you end up with the likes of a Leinster now. That's not achievable for Ulster at the minute because the pathway isn't good enough and the school system isn't at that level. But that's how you end up playing 50 plus players, you know, three months into the season because you're always giving the young guys a go.
1: Well, it's as good a time as any to discuss some of those young guys. You mentioned Tom O'Toole earlier um, in the backs. You've got people like Michael Lowry and uh, Robert Balakoon, like really exciting young talents. It's great to see, say, for example, Balakun. Uh, playing AIL a couple of weeks before being drafted into a to help out an Ireland squad, for example. So, who who of those younger players have stood out to you, and who do you foresee having a a real impact in Ulster's future? Because. As we know, it can be uh, a fairly tenuous career at times. It might look as though things are going one way and it just might not transpire to be the most uh, glittering of journeys, be it through injury or whatever. But there seems to be a crop of players at Ulster at the moment, younger players, that could provide the spine, really, of a team for the next decade.
2: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Rob Balakun. like He's a guy who... Um I was really impressed as soon as he came in and it wasn't because of his speed like the guy's fast the guy can the guy's hard to tackle loads of wingers are but I remember very early in his career you know we were touching there about scrum setups and where to stand and I remember, you know, working with this guy. He's standing beside me, You remember? And I'm sort of saying to him, look, Rob, see when that winger show's here, or when we are 20 metres from our own line, you can actually come in here. Or, and, and I remember, you know, when you're, you're talking to someone and they just get it, um and I just could tell from the way he learned and the way he listened that I you know this guy can beat people this guy can run but it was his ability he loves tackling he's a great tackler but it was his ability to learn that and I, I just saw there's guys I've spoken to in the past and I've said look see when the the opposition take the ball to the line we can all jam in or Do you know, see when he makes that early pass everything goes out the window we all sit off and then we'll adjust back to the edge, um and players don't get it, they just don't get it, Rob, everything, he just got it, he just got it, he just got it, um, also really, really good in the air, and for me, in terms of like a, you, what do you want in an international winger, you want someone who's good in the air, Um, and you want someone who's fast, who can beat people, and you want someone who can make reads in defence, uh, Jar- he's very, very lucky to have Jarrod Payne there as well, he's really improved some of his grass cover, um, his ability to maybe start high off a scrum and then as the ball goes in and when the ball's kicked over his head to turn and actually catch that ball on the full. Um, I'm sure he won't mind me saying he's still got a bit of work to do in his kicking but he's a guy that I, I'm uh, I'm really excited about. Mikey Lowry, Uh, the thing I think Ulster need to do with him is just figure out what, where's he going to play? Because at the minute, my concern with him is not talent. It's not his ability to beat players. It is this Matthew Morgan issue uh, that we've seen with him. Um, is he a 10? Is he a fullback? Um, if at the minute he's your second, if he's your backup 10, you know, are you best putting him on the bench and bringing him on at fullback to get game experience? Or are you best saying... No we need you to play at number ten. We need you to learn how to control the game um you look at a guy like billy burns who's who's just been phenomenal for Ulster um over the last couple of years and it's not about footwork it's not about speed it's not about flair it's about making really really good decisions time and time again when to kick when to pass how when to adjust your depth um and that is how you uh you play number 10, the best number 10s in the world. You know, every now and again you get a bowden Barrett, but the best 10s in the world are the ones that can control the game. So I think for Ulster, the, they need to just think about what they're doing with Mikey Laurie and are they better off, you know, even if they have to play him in the uh, in the A-team at number 10, or are they saying to him, look, you're a hybrid, um, and this is obviously something that I'm not privy to, but that's just my view on watching him.
1: Yeah, loads more young players to chat about as well. But just to jump in there, Murray, on Lowry, what would be your interpretation of where he is best suited to play for Ulster?
0: Yeah, in my head, he's he's probably a 15 at this stage. um, But benefiting from that ability to play a 10... I see him as that Damian McKenzie kind of figure, a real game-breaker, someone who can use his footwork to beat defenders, who can benefit from a little bit extra space when he's counter-attacking or kick-returning, but has the creativity to to bring other players in. And he is a a really game-brave player as well, obviously one of the smaller guys in the pitch, but I think of him uh, smashing uh, Leone Nakarawa just a couple of seasons ago. Kind of summing up his his ability to to do that in, in in contact. You think of how Leicester tried to target him in the air, and, and he eventually kind of got to grips with that challenge. Um, so definitely a resilient young player, and he's he's probably like a new signing for next season if you think about it. Only played three times this season, um, and he's definitely one of that crop of 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 young players who McFarland has has backed and who are showing their ability. I think one of the things that all started doing really well. Like Obviously, there's there's been the loss of experienced guys like Darren and, and Rory Best, etc., but I think McFarland's probably trying to to compensate for that a little bit. You even look at who's coming in next season, uh, and Ian Madigan and Albie Mathewson are the, the two kind of big names. Uh, Madigan's t- 31 now. He's very experienced. He's obviously played in World Cup with Ireland, played a lot of international rugby. He's been in France, been in Bristol, uh, kind of tough couple of seasons, but he's grown into that kind of mentor figure over in Bristol, and even Callum Sheedy, who's been keeping him out of the team, has spoken about how good Madigan's been working with him in that regard. Obviously, Madigan can play 10, 12, 15, covers a lot of different areas of the pitch, and he'll bring that experience, that nouse, as will Matthewson, who's 34, but we know he's in really super nick physically. He was playing excellent, excellent rugby, really, in Munster before he, he had to leave, and arguably, I think a lot of people felt he was in better form than Conor Murray and probably should have been starting the bigger games, but he's definitely another influential figure um, to to step into those those shoes that have maybe been vacated by, by retirements in recent seasons. He's He'll be brilliant with the young scrum halves. He was brilliant with everyone really in the monster squad, a guy who's great for, for the culture and encouraging others. So I think even over the last couple of seasons, McFarlane's been cognizant of that. Sam Carter's another guy who didn't really play a whole lot this year. I think he had seven appearances, maybe just one in the Champions Cup. He got injured away to Bath, but he he brings that as well. And um, So I think there's there's that... Nice balance to the squad, really, as they're on this, I guess, this journey of, of renewal. Um, even Gareth Mil- Milasinovic, the the big prop, he didn't play at all this year. He was a a, a recruit from Worcester last uh, summer and, and a huge guy I think he's over 130kg um, and Donico Collins mentioned that he thinks he has real potential even though he's 27 but potential for, for further growth um, so there's a nice squad coming together there with the likes of Balakun, Tom O'Toole you look at Stuart Moore now stepping up from the academy really gifted footballer in midfield he, he's got a nice balance to his game um, and a bit of X factor as well. James Hume's 21 and, and ready to push on, probably um, in midfield as well. So there, there's loads of reasons to be excited. And I think I'd agree with Darren, even they almost overachieved last season. They got the, the away quarterfinal back in the Champions Cup knockout stages. And even whatever happens with the rest of this season, you know, they're currently second in, in conference April 14. Obviously, Leinster are way out in front, they're a bit of a freak kind of outlier. But Ulster have been good, consistent. Uh, into the Champions Cup quarterfinals again for the for the second season in a row is a really good achievement and it just leaves them like we don't know what's going to happen next with 2019-20 but it leaves them in a position kind of next season to go and try and get that home knockout game whether it's in the Pro 14 or hopefully in Europe as well um, and you're making that really good clear season-on-season progress while developing that uh, young kind of new fresh core in your squad and, and topping it up with a bit of experience around it so all in all really it's looking like a, a positive position and um, considering what what Darren kind of laid out there at start where Ulster came from
1: 100% it certainly does What one of the younger players that we haven't mentioned I think he doesn't necessarily uh, he, he isn't necessarily classified as uh, a young player for the future because of his experience internationally now but Darren I was wondering what you have made of Jacob Stockdale's form over the past year obviously he's come in for a lot of criticism in a green jersey had a bit of a barren spell as well for Ulster in the try scoring stakes and it came after an early unprecedented explosion onto the global scene really uh, and that remarkable run of form he was on in terms of scoring international tries we sort of know about his talent I think particularly in attack So I was just wondering what your assessment is of him over the past 12 months, which haven't been nearly as fruitful and have seen him as well come in for a lot of stick. Much of it probably, um, as I think he's touched upon himself on on nearly a personal level, which is completely unwarranted.
2: Yeah, it's, um, listen, the way he burst onto the international scene was just freakish. Um even I've never seen a player um uh, I don't even know if I've seen an Irish player, as I would say a, a an Ulster player burst onto the Irish scene like that. Um so it was never gonna be sustained, um is the first thing to say. Um I try not to be too biased eh, because um he's an Ulster player B because I know him personally. I do think some of the criticism has been unfair. Uh, what sticks out in my mind was and I'll be interested to hear Murray's thoughts on this when Ireland took that uh, hammering at Twickenham um, uh, in the pre- uh, pre-season friendly before the World Cup if you can call it a friendly shouldn't really be called a friendly if it's international match, should it? But um, and I remember just it, <clears throat> at the end of the game it just seemed to be listen, Ireland were completely off the money that day they were blown off the park all parts of it and it just seemed to be, you know, Stockdale can't defend, and I thought he, Jacob Stockdale is a high, reasonably high risk defender. He gets quite, um, he gets quite high. You know, we've seen the intercepts, uh, and this is a guy who had two or three intercepts from the Six Nations previously, or has for Ireland and plenty for Ulster. And nobody was saying anything about these. Um, but I remember in particular, Murray. There was um, a couple of scrum defenses. Uh, where I thought Ireland were completely out of synergy, out of sync. Um, and very rarely when a team scores off first phase is it, is it one person's fault. I remember one try in particular where um, England had a left-hand scrum and the scrum wheels ever so slightly towards the touchline. So Conor Murray... Who's obviously on the open side thinking, and Ireland have agreed. Look, Conor Murray is going to get to the first England attacker, but the scrum wheels, So Conor shoots down the blind side. Totally understandable. As the ball comes out, Ben Youngs actually runs with the ball, and he gets outside of the Irish back row. So straight away, I think it might have been Jack Cardy at ten. He has to go to Ben Youngs. So straight away, I think it was um Aki and Guy Ringrose in the middle. If you're if you're Jacob Stockdale, you are thirty meters away, and in your head, you're probably thinking. I'm getting to the. Th- I'm gonna roughly hit the third last guy here, which is the you know the the, the thirteen or the blindside wing, depending on where the blindside wing comes. As that number, as Connor Murray leaves the picture and Ben Youngs joins the picture, that has happened in a split second, and you have a, you have Jacob has to guess what Jack Cardy, Bundiaki and Guy Ringrose are going to do because they have not planned for this. Um and it ends up that Jacob shoots to go and get I think it's maybe Johnny May, but because of the initial discussions, Johnny May's probably twenty metres away from him, so obviously he's very, very late. He he gets the read right, he's just too far away to cover the ground, and England get the edge and walk it in the corner, and people are having a go at Jacob, and I'm thinking that I mean, that is just not one person's fault. That it's very good attack. I can see why Connor Murray's gone down the blind side. That's not necessarily the wrong decision. Jack Carty's had to go to Ben Youngs. You know, Bundyak he's had to sit in the short runner. Guy Ringrose has had to go in the next guy. Like, it's just good rugby, and uh, like it's just rugby. It's and, and and it frustrated me that I was watching this going. How is you know? And people, good um, pundits, people on social media given Jacob, and there were more examples in the game, and that's just the one that sticks out. But I remember watching that thinking, that's not his fault. That is, and um, th- the thing that for that game stuck out for me, I've never seen Ireland in the past, say, 10 years, so out of sync uh, in terms of a lack of understanding uh, between players as to, you know, certain habits or where they all might be going. And I suppose to sum it up, if every player in the back line makes the same wrong decision at the same time, I'd say ninety percent plus of the time that will close down the move. The problem is when people are doing different things and the the scapegoat is the winger.
0: Yeah, that was a that was a horrific day. Even the second try, I think Bondiaki probably bites in um on the, the Billy Vunapola pop off the deck. It was poor defending inside, but the obvious thing is to to blame the wing. Like I know Darren 13 is obviously very difficult to defend on those set pieces, but I honestly think in the modern game, the, the wing being the edge defender is just as hard, particularly in a system like Ireland's where there's so much demand on them to make decisions, to cover space behind, as well as um, shoot up hard on the edge. It's, it's a tough thing to do. And Jacob Stockdale has definitely been learning that. He he makes good reads, uh, he makes good tackles, he uses physicality at times, but we definitely over-remember and over-focus probably on the, the poorer examples. I mean, that's not to say he's, he's completely flawless all the time. Everyone makes mistakes in the pitch, and it's probably just not about kind of hanging people out, scapegoating them when that kind of stuff does happen. Like, Jacob Stockdale himself will have learned huge amounts, even from the most recent error, I guess, the, the England one, where he, he probably feel he, he should have tried to catch that on, on the full, the, the ball bouncing. But again, extremely unlucky. There's maybe, for me, even with Ireland, there was maybe a point where Joe Schmidt could have maybe rotated him out of the team the only thing, I suppose, that Joe Schmidt was that you do that and it's seen as this dropping. It becomes a huge headline and, and potentially rocks a young player's confidence. I think in the World Cup, he probably didn't see the best of Jacob Stockdale, but he's recovered really well since and, and played some really good rugby with Ulster. It's been interesting, actually, for me to see him, and I know Dan McFarlane has mentioned it a couple of times, uh, see him back at 15 where he played a bit when he was, he was younger. Do you see that as maybe a, a potential future option, Darren, a, a bit more that he's got that skill set, that size, Obviously, when he's on form, he's he's really good in the air as well. He he seems to have the skills for for that role as well.
2: I think he definitely has the skills, and again, ne- never a bad thing having that left foot. Um, one uh, one bit further in, there's a um, an up and coming guy called Rob Carney, who you may have heard of, who plays <laughs> a bit of fullback, who's a decent left peg on him. But um, he definitely has the skills to play there. The way Dwayne Peel coaches, um, <laughs> actually. Uh, he 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 likes he's he's he likes things simple. He likes get the ball in the hands of the people that are going to uh, beat players. Uh, you watch Ulster play. He wants the ball in Stuart McCluskey's hands. He wants the ball in Jacob's hands. Um, it's a simple outlook on rugby, but you know it, it, it's effective. Um, so from that point of view, I think he could and and uh, is very well suited to it. And um, what I will compare it to slightly is. At, uh, when I was playing at Ulster uh, with, and Charles Piatow was uh, was there I felt that Charles Piatow was at his best on the left wing with Jared Payne at fullback because he was so hard to defend but if you put somebody inside him who was creative he was absolutely unstoppable you know, one-on-one he was you were probably going to lose if you give him, you know, one-on-70% you would absolutely zero chance so... You know, if you were saying to me right now, what would I be doing with with an ulster a uh, back three? I would uh, love to see Will Addison fully fit at fullback and Jacob on the left wing. Now, I'm not. This is this is with my ulster hat on here for Ireland. I'm I'm not sure, but I think with Addison's creativity, his ability just to to sort of get on a bit of an outside bounce and and just give Jacob that tiny wee bit of extra room. That's just where I think uh, a guy like him's unstoppable. So. You know, again, but listen, what I know.
0: <laughs> no, that's that's really interesting. And Addison's definitely one we wanted to to come to as well. Like, if if he can stay fit and feature as regularly as possible, he brings so much to the plate, and and definitely could for Ireland as well. It's been frustrating. I think for Andy Farrell that he wasn't really available, that calf issue throughout the Six Nations. Because even if he's your 23, he can be a bit of a game-changer. 13, he, he can well, he can cover the whole back line, can't he? He's very versatile. And that creative running style of his where he's gliding across the pitch and you remember being taught not to run across the pitch and be square up the pitch, but he always makes something happen. He makes someone turn their shoulders in and, and releases someone outside or or beats a, a kind of slower forward when he picks them out in, in the defensive line. Really Good talent there, and, and uh, like that's the thing. Jacob Stockdale is a massive weapon for Ulster. He's an, an unbelievable rugby player. His strike rate is obviously supreme, and he, he kind of broke that drought for Ulster. I know I know he probably delighted in finishing off that try for the first one since the the mistake against Leinster. Um, but there's so much quality in that team. You mentioned McCluskey like what a weapon to have in midfield. A guy who's extremely physical, obviously, but that tends to maybe overshadow the other subtleties he brings to his play he's worked on his passing game really hard you can see the evidence of that he's bringing other players into the game Where he's offloading as always he's jackaling now winning regular turnovers and when you've got a weapon like him in midfield you've got could see back to his very best in the back row uh, i think he's still only 28 or a real freak of an athlete and for me probably one of the best players in ireland in on the whole island he's devastatingly effective in, in all those physical aspects of the game and he can offload too. John Cooney really uh, at his very best at a career peak now um, at 29 and, and you've got this core of really top level players. When you add in those youngsters who are developing, when you look at the fact that Stockdale's going to get it better and, and Addison and the other guys we have mentioned staying fit, that Dan McFarland has brought in McGrath and at, at props, guys who have points to prove and want to be back on that um, international squad as well, there's just a whole lot of upside in this Ulster squad, I think, and it's it's just a, an exciting prospect to think of them getting all those elements onto the pitch. Obviously, there's going to be injuries at certain stages, and and that's the nature of the game. But um, they're they're in a really good place in terms of that personnel, and um, with a load of upside left in it.
2: I think there's a and they have a they have a slight um a similar issue to Ireland I think Ulster in that when they struggle uh with the confrontation side of the game the whole th- the whole the whole thing struggles um I think we've seen that with Ireland uh particularly struggling against those really big hefty teams England obviously jumping out over the past year and Ulster the way they like to play they like to pass the ball I remember when Dan McFarland came in he said something that I think the year before, Ulster Forwards had passed the ball less than any team Um, in in the in the Pro 14. He brought in uh, Dan Soper, who's a very good skills coach, who's been working in the school system here and, and the club system for years, and passed the ball, passed the ball, passed the ball. But, listen, for all me overcomplicating rugby... Rugby is about big men. Uh, it's about controlling the game line. If when somebody runs into you, you smash them back, and if when you carry the ball, you knock people over, you're going to be good at rugby. You can forget all the nonsense I've spoken about all day, about about going to the line and turning shoulders. And you know, for Ulster, Ian Henderson, Marcel Kutsia, and Stuart McCoskey are three guys that just... You know when they're in the team, they're big. They 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 just make a big difference just because their ability, um, to control that game line. Uh Maureen, you mentioned just on Marcel, um, that that's what it is. You know, since he's come to Ulster, he's been privy to some good coaching. In particular, again, some work with Jared Payne, he's really developed his understanding and his decision making. But in the end of the day. That guy's ability to control the game line, and that is the key to rugby. Um, and when people run into him, they go backwards. I mean, he carries the ball, he carries people forwards with him, and that is absolutely and utterly invaluable in rugby. And I agree with you, I think he's one of the, the best players on the island here.
0: Yeah, the coaching side of it's really interesting. You, you've mentioned nearly all the guys there now, and, and that side of it's become a little more settled. Peel doing great work with the attack and, and getting that nice width in the attacking shape. But the interplay between the forwards, I agree, has been a real highlight and and possibly kind of, like obviously Leinster are good at that as well, but the interplay is right up there from, from Ulster. Dan Sobers done on a brilliant job. Uh, the defence pr- progress has been really interesting as well, kind of almost more under the radar. People tend to focus on the attacking game, but Payne's done a good job. And, and even I know Dance, Dan McFarland speaks a lot about the kind of collective speed. You tend to think of that uh, purely as an attacking kind of attribute, but it, it applies to the defence. Even go- how guys are getting off the ground, how they're getting set early, allowing themselves into those positions to make better de- decisions. Um, It's been really impressive. Roddy Grant's obviously the newest addition, the forwards coach uh, coming in this season. There, there have been a couple of memorable kind of line-out wobbles, maybe just down to individual throws, lifts, things like that. Bath obviously had a, a big day at the scrum there as well, but loads of tools for him to work with. So it is a nice kind of settled, balanced coaching team Dan McFarland seems to be really good as well at, at kind of encouraging them to show their attributes and actually freeing them up to do a bit, to, to, to show what they can bring in terms of the coaching, a bit like we mentioned, Gav, with with Connacht and Andy Friend. Um, I just wanted to ask you, Darren, you, you mentioned Ian Henderson there. It's, it's I guess, a, a new captain this season. What's he like behind the scenes as a character, as a leader? Uh, what have you seen in, in terms of his growth from when he first kind of burst through as this devastatingly good young player uh, in terms of his personality and his leadership?
2: Uh, he's quite a quiet, kind of relaxed guy. He's not overly excitable. Um, very. Uh, he's actually... Um, you may or may not be surprised to hear that he's very intelligent. Um, <laughs> I don't know why you judge front five forwards like that, Murray, but that's, <laughs> uh, that's your prerogative. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, listen... I think it was the right decision to make him him captain. I do. I I th- I just think with his, uh, he's kind of one of those guys who's, you know, he's a young player, and then you turn your back, and now he's twenty eight. <laughs> um, but I just see him like he's, he's homegrown. Um, he's a you know he's a lock forward. He's the heart and soul of the place now. What he did, the smartest thing he probably did was um a few years ago he looked at Rory Best and he thought you know this guy does a lot of things right off the pitch um and he sort of fell under Rory's wing and like Rory for all the criticism he got um. Listen. There's no these guys that that go on to get three figures of international caps. It's it's not um it's not luck. You know these guys are and I I saw it. I was lucky enough to play a couple of games alongside of the likes of O'Gara's and O'Driscolls and O'Connells and these guys. Obviously, several with Bessie. These guys are the hardest working guys you'll ever see. Um, they they without doubt work harder. Like Rory Bess without doubt worked harder than any player I've ever seen in my career and he used to throw and throw and throw and throw and throw and then all of a sudden, you know, Ian Henderson was 21, 22 and he said, Rory, see when you're throwing, you know, can I come and stand on the steps at the stadium and you throw them to me? Uh, Rory would say, of course, I would absolutely love that. So they and they would throw and even after training last season, um, you know, we'd be done and they'd go into the gym um at the Kingspan and, and Hendy would stand on one of those boxes for uh, put a couple of those boxes for box jumps and put them right up and and they would throw I don't know 50, 60, 70 balls this is this is, this is two of our British and Irish Lions these are our two best players at training harder than everyone else and uh, you know I've seen Hendy literally watched Hendy come in as this youngster who looked all over the place to this guy who is safe as houses in the line out He's a really intelligent guy. He can call the line out. And it's been a pleasure to watch. And uh, I'm a big fan, as you can tell. And I hope that he continues over the next uh, few years to have such a, a big impact on Ulster and Irish rugby.
0: Absolutely. Just to clarify, I have nothing against tight five forwards. Some of the smartest guys I've met <laughs> have been up front. The midfielders, are not sure, they get way too much credit for some of the decision making, but not always the smartest. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> the, the fact that Henderson isn't uh, the most vocal of. Guys, Darren, is that part of the reason? Do you think that uh, McFarland has looked to bring in some of those guys that can, I guess, provide that little element or that little bit of support in terms of what they bring to a, a squad in leadership? The likes of Madigan and Albie Matheson, whose impact in Monster was fairly celebrated.
2: Yeah, well, it's if you're if you're the likes of a, a Dan McFarland or a Leo Cullen, you know you have to remember the it's it's all very well the the Champions Cup campaign, but you're bread and butter you know these players aren't here i don't have the stats in front of me but these these your top irish players are not there a lot of the time in a normal season you you know how many weeks of preparation for the six nations so um how many preps for the november internationals they could be back late in pre-season when you're building blocks are being put in place you know if there's a long tour um for example i think ireland this year were supposed to have a three test tour to australia um which i assume has been cancelled but uh, you know those players would pr- that tour would probably start two or three weeks after the season, so those players would arrive back for preseason five six weeks late. So you know, Ian Henderson's no good day. You? Then you know how these. This is when you're putting your foundations in place, your habits, cultures. All these words. What? How are you going to behave when things get tough? Th- those real top line interplay uh, international players are the icing on the cake. So guys, like. Yeah, likes a Madigan coming in who's been around, likes a Matthewson as well. Um, even, you know, there's plenty of guys at, at Ulster now, a guy like um, Billy Burns. Now, he, he may, may or may not have been on that plane to Australia, but he's a guy who, who's only 25, but he's a real leader. We, we spoke about Sam Carter very briefly before. Um, these are guys you really, really need. They're, they're, they're the guys who are, are doing all the work when the rock stars aren't there. Um, and as I say, when the boys come back in, they're just about putting sort of um, uh, the cream on top, so to speak. But the the foundations are in there, so the damage is either being done or the team's sort of already set up. So it's really important that you have guys around the likes of an Ian Henderson. Um, and it's something that will be interesting to see. Over the next while, you know, I'd have said Ulster's next choice captain, um, is Rob Herring, who was having a really promising Six Nations, um, and looked like you know that number two jersey he could sort of just be slipping into the lead for that number two jersey for the next couple of years, um. So again, you know, who's next? Who's when these guys are away? Who's 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 rallying the troops? Who's looking after the habits? Um and it is probably the likes of a, of a Billy Burns or an Alan O'Connor, but these are the guys that um you know probably don't get as much media attention, but they're what shape um your season because if you don't have them, you're not going to be in any playoffs or, or the likes.
0: Yeah, that, that's a really important point to just hammer home, Gav. Like we spoke at Leinster, and that's probably one of the things that's missed with them a lot because they have a lot of star names. But even we actually went through and tallied up all the minutes from this season, and and you see the guys who've been most uh, present and it's people like I don't know Josh Murphy Ross Maloney Jimmy O'Brien guys who maybe go under the kind of national radar the wider rugby consciousness radar but they're so important Alan O'Connor is a brilliant example in Ulster a guy who has been for me brilliant this season really tough like a a tough nut in the close exchanges he's improved his ball handling immeasurably under Soper um, and just brings that leadership as well those kind of guys like Luke Marshall someone who slipped out of the Ireland uh, mix, but is is really consistent for Ulster they're the ones who I agree, totally agree with Darren they make the difference Leinster have loads of really good ones um, and because they have a load of internationals people maybe kind of overlook that I know Leinster fans obviously appreciate their contributions but it really is a it's a you know it's more about sorry it's, it's about more than just your Six or seven international players and and them making the the kind of x factor moments the the consistent guys who plug away non-stop in the background are are just as important so that's that's a big for us as well. continuing that development
1: yeah, it certainly is and obviously Dan McFarland's name has been mentioned here plenty over the course of the podcast. Uh, Darren, you lived through the very first phase, I suppose of the McFarland revolution, and I was curious as to how uh, a coaching philosophy changes how that changes actually uh actually manifests itself is it the case that like coaches will sit down with players and uh, a change in approach is, is discussed verbally in meeting rooms in reviews and things like that or does it manifest itself more through different drills on the training ground even uh team runs things like that how, how does a coach actually implement what mcfarlane has done over the past sort of 12 uh well 18 months
2: it's it's quite a it's quite a hard question to answer because it's probably about changing um loads of things really slightly um but the knock on effect is 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 quite big um and the one I mean to try and not make sure we're, although we've all got all day um so that we're not here all day <laughs> um uh the biggest thing i would say if you could say like what has dan brought to ulster that you have never seen in the too many head coaches that were at ulster in your 13 years um it without doubt is the intensity of training um there has not ne- and it is it it's not rocket science um it's been seen at Ireland. I remember when Joe Schmidt came to Ireland training and I thought, this is a bit different. It certainly was different than when Declan Kidney was in charge. The ulcer training is unrecognisable. Uh, I think given that the, the, the playing group has changed so much, I actually don't think um, there's as big a gap um you know you don't have probably as many rock stars you know it's not like you look at you know, well, charles pietow you know tommy bow these sort of boys rory best um there's just a lot of good players um outside of your rock stars you know the likes of your maddie ray sean Reedies, um these kind of guys nick timoney kieran treadwell andy warwick just all these guys that are just good players um but the speed of training is just something that Dan completely and utterly changed and everything that they do is all about speed, it's all about speed because Dan was smart enough to realise that if Ulster were going to do any damage it wasn't going to be through this arm wrestle, which um, we see from some teams, if Ulster are going to go and beat Toulouse now, there has to be control, of course there does but it has to be done with speed. If, you know, the pitches... Um, now, of course, this is, you know, may not happen. The Toulouse game may not happen, but let's assume it was going to happen. Um, What will the pitch be like? Uh, you know, it could be heavy. It's often as the case over there. Um, Lots of big, big, big forwards that want to trundle. They want to wait. No, it has to be a quick. You have to go to the line out quickly. You have to do everything quick. And you have to just get everyone on the pitches so heart rate so high that they're uncomfortable and back yourself to um to handle it best and that is one thing this um Dan has a number of drills um where you know he has 15 on 15 set up but he has all the coaches around the place with extra extra um rugby balls so if the ball ever goes out it's tossed back in so essentially he does um you know 6 7 minutes passages of play and you know then, at the end of it, he'll you know double blow a whistle, and everyone has to sprint into him and the first time he did that he he showed it on the video afterwards, and he said and he showed the last couple of sort of he had he had told everybody when I double blow the whistle, you need to sprint in or we're doing fitness, we're doing extras, so he showed the video and he showed the last thirty seconds minute of of play, and everyone's walking they're absolutely tanks are empty and he double blew the whistle and everybody sprinted to him and uh because you know nobody wanted to be last nobody wanted to do extras and he showed it and he said why can you sprint when I blow a whistle I am not on the pitch to blow a whistle twice why can you sprint when you blow a whistle but you cannot sprint to just a kick when you're tired and that sort of mindset of um of of things he might throw a ball in, and he'd say, you know, team with bibs, line out on your forty on the forty on the ten meter line there. You've got twenty seconds to 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 call it to, but you might be forty meters away, so you'll have to you'll have twenty seconds, and the whole team will both teams will have to sprint into position, get the calls, and the and if it doesn't start in twenty seconds, then there's punishments. So that idea, and it's 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 evident in. In Ulster's play and I suppose in summary the one thing that if you look when Ulster have the ball, when the ball is presented before the scrum half arrives, that is Ulster at their best. So when you see John Cooney arriving, zip away, away, away. that is when Ulster are at their best and that is something that when you're watching them you should look for and when you see that when you see the ball being plonked out and John Cooney or Dave Shanahan or Matthewson when it's him fighting to get there and zipping it away as soon as it's as soon as they arrive because the ball's ready that is when you will see Ulster you know be rewarded with a, a line break a try or a penalty
0: yeah those training sessions sound horrific I have to say but you can see he, he, I mean th- Dan McFarren talks about kind of squeezing every drop and, and fighting for every inch and you can kind of dismiss them as, I don't know, bullshit kind of statements, but they very much do relate. I suppose the last part of the Jigsaw for Ulster is getting Darren Cave back in the mix. I wonder what role you you would favour.
2: Uh, <laughs> do you know what? I actually thought for long parts of my career, the, like I, I would like to go into coaching. Um, and no, I don't think I will. Mainly because... Um you know I look at the guy a guy like Jordan Murphy and I think you know I played I played with Jordan our careers just overlap with Ireland and he was an incredibly intelligent player um really classy player as well actually but you know he he he's got his dream job now um and he he's got all the attributes he knows every, he knows everything there is to know about rugby he knows everything there is to know about Leicester there is no man better prep for that job and it's been a bit of a shambles. The guy's aged about, you know, he looks about 20 years older um, and he's pouring his heart and soul into it. He's got all the tools. And I, I just look at it and I think, why would you want to do that? Um, and, you know, and the, the great thing about the, the media is, you know, when you're playing and when you're coaching, hindsight is, is useless. Uh, that's something I really enjoy with the media. I go on and I say, Flip, I, I really don't know why you picked him. You know, and as a player, I would have said, well, nice one, Murray. Why didn't you say that on Friday when he did pick him? <laughs> You've changed. You've but, changed.
1: <laughs> welcome to yeah, the dark side. Yeah, hindsight's great now. Yeah, so like what if, what we have asked um, Mike Sherry in relation to Monster Birch in relation to Connacht, and I'll ask you now as well, Darren, if there was one area in which you would most like to see Ulster improve between uh, I suppose between now and the resumption of rugby is too difficult given that it's impossible to train as a group. But over the next 12 months, say, one area in which uh, you feel they could uh, kick things up a notch in order to uh, probably, I guess, uh, go that little bit further in Europe, get beyond a quarterfinal, uh, win a, w- win silverware, basically. What w- What would that one area be? Or are you like Murray when I asked this last week, uh feel free to tell me if one area is is just too few too limiting
2: yeah it probably is too limited but i can give you a couple of really quick areas i think uh, when they come up against real real same as i mentioned alluded to earlier with ireland when they come up against massive physicality um just a wee bit more weight around the place um that, you know, maybe a bit of depth and a bit of experience. Um, I think they've got all the tools. I mean, this year, um, if this does draw to a conclusion, they're, they're, without doubt, they're, they are not the best team in Europe. Um, could they win it? I think, they'll, I think they'll struggle to win it. I think they uh, have a chance of, you know, getting a couple of knockout wins. Um, big picture, I think it would be nice to see them just producing more and more players from the school system. Um, nobody has a problem with how many players we're picking up from outside Ulster. It's, it's, it's fact, it's the truth. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's the same with, with Conant and Munster, particularly Conant, in an ideal world, you want as many players as possible um, playing for the problems who are from the province. Uh, in terms of just because it's a good thing, uh, but also in terms of sustainability. Um, so that sort of it would be a big picture thing. I think everyone in Ulster would like to see um, our ability just to go to our schools and say, look, we have a plethora of players here that we don't need to scar the world for players who are are, um, are Irish qualified.
1: Murray, any additions to that?
0: Yeah, I guess just in terms of like a, an objective for next season is... Uh, I mentioned before, get a home knockout tie. It makes such a huge difference, like statistically proven. If you can get a home quarterfinal in Europe, you have a, a much better chance of going through again. And same with the, the Pro 14 semifinals, both in terms of the, the money the province brings in with the big home game, but also because it makes you competitively... Um, a a greater chance of of advancing so I think probably that consistency of the performance, we've seen brilliant Ulster performances but having that across the board 95% of the time is what the very very best teams do and I think Ulster they're heading that direction and they they can take that next step uh, next season
1: That sounds like a plan. Darren it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on, really appreciate you taking the time, I know we have a lot of time but still very much appreciated Uh, super job, thank you
2: all right, guys, thanks for having me. Always good to talk Ulster. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Murray, thank you as well.
0: Cheers, Gav. Looking forward to our next um, Classic Games match on Monday. We're talking connacht lose from 2013, so another uh, really good match to look back
1: at. Absolutely, looking forward to a bit of homework there as well. Thank you to everybody at home who listened. Members Members.the42.e if you want to listen to some of our pandemic pods. And we'll be back as well next Thursday to round off the provincial report Card series with Leinster. So until either Monday or next Thursday, go easy in the meantime and mind yourselves.
2: I don't think we've met
0: before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody
1: really notices. Leinster could have me five mil a year. I wouldn't go. <laughs> yeah. it is Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Little reverse pass.